Well, um, as it was Thanksgiving this past week, um, hopefully you guys had a great Thanksgiving break and a great time with family, and eating lots of good food. Um, I could tell, just looking around, um, some people have just a little more fuller faces with uh, <laughs> enjoying just a good time eating and spending time with family. Uh, personally, I'm not the biggest fan of Thanksgiving food, and so um, I spend time with my brother, his wife, and Minha, and their, and their one-year-old boy, and uh, we just had Korean barbecue, so it was, it was really good. Um, but speaking of food, um, we've been studying the Gospel of John for the past couple of months. We we're on a series on the Gospel of John, and for the past couple of weeks, we've been stuck on chapter 6, right? We've been just constantly just kind of working through um, chapter 6, and there's been this reoccurring theme throughout chapter 6. It's this theme of bread, of food, right? Um, Jesus mentioned that he's the bread of life and all these things. And so as we look at chapter 6 in terms of the background, uh, we see that in the beginning, Jesus feeds the 5,000 plus, right? Um, up, upwards to about 20,000 people. Um, and there's a theme, right? With five loaves of bread and two fish. Um, and so the crowds, of course, they get really amazed that Jesus performs this amazing miracle. Um, but they're so drawn to him that they actually want to force him to be their physical king, right? Um, they want him to basically overthrow the government and to be their political uh, figure in their lives. Um, and so what does Jesus do? He kind of retreats and he slips away. And uh, the disciples, they take a boat, uh, boat ride and they... Um, they go out into the sea, and of course, who do they see? They see Jesus walking in the middle of the sea, and, and of course, they get so scared, and, um, but Jesus comforts them, saying, do not be afraid, it is I. Um, and so they, they land on the, on the opposite end, and again, Jesus, there's a theme of bread, and um, the crowds, uh, they notice that Jesus is gone, and so they're like, where did he go? He's on the other side, so they all take bows, they all look for Jesus, and Jesus rebukes them. Um, when they find Jesus, he tells them basically that they're seeking him for the wrong reasons. It's, they're seeking him ultimately for materialistic blessings. That's all they want from him. Oh, give us more bread. Give us um, basically money. Like you're a, a big blessing. Uh, you got to understand what Jesus provided for them was not just food. Uh, this is actually a big part of their income, of their salary. Um, basically, they're working for food. And so Jesus just provided a big part of the, their daily living. And so Jesus rebukes them and tells them that he is the bread of life that can satisfy them eternally, that this bread will perish, don't work for it, but I can uh, satisfy you eternally. I can give you eternal life. And so today, as we look at our passage from verse 41 to 59, it's a continuation of Jesus' conversation. And, um, and it's going to sound very repetitive, Right? He's going to continue to mention that he is the bread of life, that if people eat of his flesh, that they will have eternal life. Um, But repetition is not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, um, when we look at at anything, anytime something is repeated over and over again, it usually means that it's quite important, right? And um, when we look at this this chapter, um, it's a really long chapter. Um, You know, we look at different accounts in in the Gospel of John, and we look at Jesus spending so much time talking about bread. Uh, we look at the, the water account, it's, it's so short, it was like five verses. I, I, I kind of want to know what the conversation was like. Um, 
but, but we don't. And there's something so uh, important that Jesus is being constantly repetitive on this idea of the bread of life. Why is the bread so important? So with that being said then, I believe then uh, there's a lot to be learned about Jesus' example of bread and food. And so uh, the whole chapter really ties together. And so the question that I want us to think about as we go through our passage today is what lessons or what spiritual lessons can be learned through food? Okay? Or what lessons is God teaching us through bread? Or why is Jesus spending so much time talking about bread? Like, What's so important about the idea of bread? Okay. So the first uh, thing that I think we can learn through Jesus' idea of spiritual food or spiritual lessons that we can learn from food is, I think it shows us where our true hunger is. Okay? Read this passage with me. It starts off like this, verse 41. So the Jews, they grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Keep in mind, what, what, what are these people just, where were they coming from? They were just fed by Jesus. Uh, they just got physical bread from him. They were satisfied. They're like, yes, let's make him king. Jesus retreats. He takes a boat. And they seek after him. And actually, in, in the account right before, they actually questioned him, saying, like, what works or signs do you do? And now they're questioning him, and their hearts are grumbling. Why? Because they were not hungry and thirsty for God. But rather, they're truly hungry for materialistic things. That's all they cared about. And as a result, all they desired and hungered was that Jesus would be their political figure, be their king that would serve their own desires, serve their own wants. But Jesus kept making it clear to them that he was offering something far better than anything here uh, that you can find here on earth. And that is spiritual and that is eternal and that is himself. And ultimately they grumble because they don't view him as God. And they only desired him again to be their physical provider and the deliverer. Rather than their spiritual deliverer. And so it's really crazy again. Because like I said, right before this passage. Um, they were questioning him. What sign do you do? How dare they, right? It's like he just fed them. He just did this amazing uh, a miracle of just feeding them many people with just five loaves of bread and two fish and they go what have you done Jesus I just fed you guys and so only it's because of this their hearts only grumbled even more in Jesus's presence because they did not desire and hunger for more of him you see we can't just admire Jesus but you have to eat of Jesus what does that mean it doesn't mean like it's not a literal thing but it means to believe and Jesus kept reiterating that what does it mean to eat of my flesh it means to believe in me and so what does it take then to eat you've got to be hungry right whenever i think about the two things that makes me want to eat food it's one when something is so delicious that i like daydream about it right like one of my favorite things is uh, samgyeopsal which is like um it's a korean pork belly I like sometimes daydream about just eating pork belly, right? 
That's one thing that makes me desire it. Like, yes, I want to eat, even if I'm not hungry. I just like, sometimes I just want it. But the other thing that really drives us to eat is when we're truly hungry. When we feel the painstaking emptiness in our stomach, we go, man, I need sustenance. If, if I don't have this, I will die. And I think that's something to even ask ourselves. When we look upon Christ, do we feel that hunger for him? Do we feel that emptiness? These people did not sense that emptiness. They knew that they're empty, but they wanted to fill it with something else. Oh, Jesus, you can fill my physical need. My king. Yes, overthrow the Roman government. Yes, we're going to be a nation finally. Yes. That was their hunger. And they felt like this will truly, truly satisfy me. Is if you're my physical king, but not my God. I, I don't want you as my God, but I want you as my king. So ask yourself this. Are you hungry for the Lord? Who do you see Jesus as? I asked the youth this uh, two weeks ago when we looked at the passage right before this. Is, do you view Jesus as this magical genie who serves your wishes? Or do you see Jesus as your God where you serve his wishes? Let's hunger for God. The second thing I think we can learn in terms of uh, spiritual lessons that God is teaching us in this metaphorical example of food is that there's a source and origin of food, right? Um, This passage right here can pretty much just be a a sermon. As a matter of fact, John Piper took this passage and spent about two weeks dissecting this. So I'm going to try not to spend too much time on this. Verse 43, it says this. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. You know, uh, for us to get food, there's a source, right? We have to either go to a store or you have to, like, I don't know, I guess raise animals and have a farm and whatnot. But there's, there's something that we have to get it from. And likewise, the bread of life, there's a source of it. And you cannot get it on your own. What does Jesus say in verse 44? He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There's a condition here for us to come to God. Jesus plainly states it out. Unless the Father draws him up. What does that mean to draw? This drawing is, actually has a, a strong connotation of like, almost like dragging. This isn't like a really forceful dragging. But it's actually more of like a wooing of a lover. But it's far more than just a wooing. Because if you are trying to woo someone, like a guy pursuing a woman, or a woman like trying to brainwash a guy like, oh, love me. Oh, sorry, sorry. Or wooing, sorry. There, there is a chance of failure when you woo someone. But not with God. God is completely effective when he woos us. It, it, Jesus himself says it. 
verse 45. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, what do they do? They come to me. There is no failure on God's part. When God draws people to him, they do come to Jesus. And God's drawing changes a person's heart. You see, if someone is converted, if someone's heart is turned to the Lord, it is not because of someone or someone's cunning preaching or uh, someone's uh, testimony. It is simply because God taught them. It is simply because of God's initiative. It is the work of the Lord. And when I think about that, it's so humbling and freeing for me too. Because far be it that we judge someone on how many people they have brought to Christ. Because of them. This is God's doing. And I want to share a quick story. Um, When I graduated from college, I went on a, a mission trip to China. Before stopping by China, our team stopped by Korea. And uh, we stopped by this elderly home. And one of the things that we had to do was just to kind of share the gospel to these Korean people. Uh, My Korean is horrible. And so oftentimes what we did was someone, part of our team that was really good at Korean, would kind of do like a whole gospel presentation to the whole group. But we went to the elderly home and all these, you know, um, grandparents, they're just in like different parts of this like building. And they're like, we can't gather all of them in one room and, you know, share with everyone. We're going to have to break up and go into different parts of the room. We've got to meet them one-on-one. And I was like, all right, who's going to be my partner? And they're like, no, Einstein, we need you to go meet with that grandma over there. And I was like, I can't speak Korean. Just do your best, man. And they gave me this little booklet, um, Four Spiritual Laws. If you don't know what it is, it's a like Campus Crusade. Um, gospel tract. It's like the gospel in like four points. Uh, it was in Korean. They're like, if anything, just keep pointing at this book and have her read this. I'm like, dude, this is like, okay. So I'm speaking with this Korean uh, grandma and my Korean is so broken. Like the only thing I could just tell her is like, Jesus loves you. And everything that I kept saying to this grandma, she just kept saying, I don't know in Korean. I don't know. And it was like so frustrating to me because, to be honest, I actually took Korean school uh, growing up as a kid. Even in college, I actually took some Korean classes. And I was like, man, I, 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 the only thing I could kind of say is like, Jesus loves you. And do you believe in God? And uh, have you gone to church? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I couldn't really say much. And I was so frustrated. Like, man, I, I really want to share the gospel message with her. But I can't. Like, my tongue is literally locked. I was like stuttering. I was like... Uh, and like words wouldn't like come out. I was almost, I, I'm pretty sure I offended her with, uh, there's, there's like a, a tricky part of Korean. There's like honorifics and stuff. I, I was not using that. I was like, uh, like I was like translating directly in my, in my head of like English words. And it, it, an hour just went by where I was just like, I didn't know what to say. And then everyone's leaving now and I just had to say bye. And that night, our team gathered together. We were in a room. They're like, hey, why don't we all pray? For the people we just met today. Let's pray that God would open up their hearts. I'll tell you this. I was on my knees that night. I've never cried so hard in my life. Feeling this burden and weight for one single soul. This grandma was old. Very, very old. And I felt this burden like, what if I was the last single person to ever have had the opportunity to share the gospel? 
I blew it. I was like, man, like, and I was like crying to the Lord, like, God, I'm so sorry. I should have taken Korean school more seriously. I should have studied. Like, and I seriously wept. I never felt this crazy of a burden for someone. I was like, like, I was wrecked. I was just like, ah, and like my whole mission team was like, oh man, like, like Einstein really loves the Lord. And, um, <laughs> but there's two things that I, after that moment that I, that I realized as I continued and um, even growing in my relationship with God and growing in theology. Because one, I do believe that God has given me this burden for this soul of, of yearning and aching for this soul. But I realized there was another part where Satan was really also making me believe this lie. That only if my Korean was perfect, just only if I had like perfect fluent Korean, then you know what? This woman would be saved. You blew it, Einstein. And I would just be so wrecked thinking like, oh my gosh, like, what if, like, who knows how long this woman was going to live? She definitely, like, you know, was very old. And I just lived with that burden. You see, it's freeing when we think about God's drawing. God is the doer. God is the worker of salvation. Uh, These quotes from R.C. Sproul that I want to share. He shares this. Though the work of creation was completed at the end of the sixth day, God's involvement with his creation didn't stop. Meaning, with his people, he continued to begin uh, working, working miracles of changing people's hearts, drawing them to himself, of bringing salvation. That is a miracle in itself, and that is the working of the Lord of himself. Not only that, he shares this. If I am in Christ, and what he means is this. If anyone is in Christ, it is because God took me out of the world and gave me to Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus says uh, says here in this passage. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And they will be taught by God. And everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, they come to me. That is the word of the Lord. You see, those who are drawn by God, they come to Jesus and they come to the Father and we receive the nourishment of this bread of life, which is Jesus Christ himself. You see, we cannot go to the Father on our own. As a matter of fact, we will not choose the Father on our own. We are drawn by God. He is the giver of faith who in his great mercy brings salvation to his elect. And there's so much, you know, to be said, like I mentioned there's not enough time to kind of dissect this and um, go into the theology. But um, if you're interested, I encourage you to listen to John Piper's sermon on this. He spent two weeks just spending time on this. But um, basically, there's actually two interpretations of God's drawing. It can either only mean that God draws everyone. I mean, every single person to himself. And those that hear his voice... They respond, and then they do meet the Father, and they meet the Son. Or it can only mean then, the second meaning is that God only draws His elect, and He gives them to Jesus. And His conclusion is that it's a second one. God only draws the elect in this passage. And one telltale sign is that if you look at the end of this passage, many people, they actually turn away from Jesus. This crowds, many of them were Jesus' disciples. And as they turn away, Jesus confronts his 12. 
who do you say I am? I'm like, oh, what do you think about me? And they all go, oh, you're the Lord. And he says, but there's still one of you guys. He's talking about Judas. If it's the first one, then if God is drawing Judas to himself, what does that say about his effectiveness as a drawer of one drawing? That means he's a failure. But uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this. There is another question that I do want to bring up that even I remember one of the youth students asking me this. And not only do I think youth students kind of um, have a question upon this, I think some adults might have a question on this. I've had discussions with uh, some of you about this. But it might be on the question of, so then how do I know then that I have saving faith or that I am part of God's elect? Or how do I know that God has drawn me? I mean, I've been raised in the church my whole life. I how do I know it's just not just knowledge puffed up in my mind and I'm not really drawn up to the Lord? Um, someone, uh, this lady asked John MacArthur this in one of his conferences and she was so emotional. She was like, how do I know if I think blasphemous thoughts time to time? How do I know if my heart at all times does not want to draw to the Lord? And she was like weeping, like, how do I know I'm saved? And John MacArthur responded, asking her a couple questions. Do you desire to obey God? And she emotionally responded, yes, I do. Do you desire to love him? Yes, I do. Do you believe that there is a God? Yes, I believe. And he says, the fact that you have answered yes to those questions and the fact that you're even asking this question is evidence that God is working in your heart right now. And it's evidence that you are part of the elect, that God is drawing you to himself. And he encouraged her with um, what the Apostle Paul has shared, sharing that Apostle Paul would actually resonate with what you just shared. You know what he, shared, uh, he wrote? He said, the things I want to do, I don't do, which is I want to obey God to the fullness. I want to be a righteous person. And the things that I don't want to do, which is I don't want to sin uh, anymore. I keep doing. For some reason, my flesh and my spirit, they're at war with each other. And hey, that's because you're human. You don't have to be perfect. So he encourages with that. You see, we wouldn't understand if we weren't drawn by the Lord. Until we're taught by God, like how it says in verse 45, we cannot understand the things of God. And it's for this reason when Jesus is reiterating this over and over again in the passage uh, right before this, and, you know, there's this whole discourse that Jesus is giving. It's like a sermon that he's giving. Nobody understands. The crowd is like, what are you talking about? Eat your flesh? Oh my. And they're like just mind-blown. Like, they're disgusted with Jesus. Why don't they understand? Because they're not drawn by the Father. God has not given them understanding. He's reiterated over and over again that he's the bread of life. Yet nobody understood. So I think one thing we could even ask ourselves is this. Do you trust in God's sovereignty? Do you believe this? That God has the power to overturn our hearts. That he is in control of all things, including our faith. Let's pray that God would also open the hearts of many and draw them to himself. Our family members, friends, people at school, at work, our neighborhood. Thirdly, what other lessons can we learn that God is teaching us through food? Is that transformation happens personally, okay? G. 
Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone uh, eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus in this passage is giving a quick distinction between manna and himself, the bread of life. Right? Quick comparison is that there are uh, small um, similarities. Is that they're both sent from God. Right? And so he kind of clarifies that manna is actually not sent by Moses. It's really sent by God. Both are sent from heaven. The manna and Jesus himself, the bread of life. But here's the main distinction. Manna is temporary. As a matter of fact, manna sustained the Israelites day by day, week by week. But what was the final result of manna? It eventually led to death. They weren't sustained to an eternity. They didn't have eternal life. They died. And he was telling them, hey, these people that ate the manna that you so desperately almost want from me, it leads to death. However, Jesus, the bread of life, is so different and so much better than manna and than anything that is physical here on earth. Why? Because the bread of life gave his own flesh willingly as a sacrifice. His body was broken. His blood was shed for us. That if anyone eats from the bread of life, meaning anyone believes in Jesus, they have eternal life. It sustains them eternally. And that is the blessing. And that is the main difference that Jesus is pointing out. That the bread of life transforms you eternally. You are sustained forever. You see, eating personally transforms us. You know, you can't eat delicious food simply by just watching others eat, right? You know, um, if you go on YouTube, there are countless things called mukbangs, right? People literally make money just eating in front of a camera and people are just like i I love this it's so mind-boggling like they they just make lots of money doing this doesn't matter how much you watch them how much they describe it in such detail like this is the juiciest steak this is oh it's so good that description alone will not make you taste it through the screen you can imagine it You can almost imagine what the smell and the taste and the feeling in your mouth. But unless you taste the goodness of what they're eating, you will never know. And likewise, each person must experience Jesus personally by first believing. Jesus says, whoever believes. It's not whoever is in the company of believers. Whoever attends church or is part of a home group or part of, you know, just... um, you know, following their pastor or whatnot. Like, uh, no, it's you personally are responsible. You are transformed on your own, not through others. And yes, there is value in community. There is, we, we do experience transformation communally too. But you yourself have to believe. Parents, you cannot make your own kids believe. Your kids, you cannot live through your parents' faith. You must personally believe. It is on you. 
It needs to be a daily even commitment to spend time with God and to continue to be transformed personally of tasting His goodness. And as God draws people to Himself, we have our responsibility as well. And this is the mystery of the gospel, right? That there is this duality that as we just talked about, that God is drawing people to Himself. Yes, there is a human response that we must give to the Lord as well. We must believe. We must also make the step of faith and saying, Yes, Lord, I believe and I seek you. And I want to taste of your goodness. But so how does the crowd respond in this story? Do they decide to taste the goodness of the Lord and to experience his goodness? They go, Oh, yes, I want this goodness. Again, no, they don't. Rather, what is our heart's? It continues to close, and the grumbling intensifies. Look at what it says in 52. So the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They keep thinking about the literal, the physical, the earthly things. Like, you want us to eat you? Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, no, that's so wrong. They're so confused because, again, they're thinking about the literal eating of Jesus' flesh. But... Why are they like this? God has not given them understanding faith. They have not been taught by God as what Jesus said in verse 45, nor had they been drawn to God in verse 44. And then this chapter, like I mentioned, what did many of these disciples do? They turn away from Jesus. They basically go, you're whack. I've wasted my time following you. You aren't what I thought you were going to be. Many of them turn away. Forget this. I mean, I... Gave up so much of my time and my energy to spend time with you. What response do you have towards Jesus? Have you tasted the goodness of God? Have you tasted from the bread of life? Have you met the Lord and been filled with joy? Do you believe? Or is your heart filled with grumbling? Is it filled with hardness? When people see you, do they see the joy of the Lord? Do they see that you've truly tasted the goodness of God? Do they see your testimony being magnified and glorified unto the Lord? Do they see that your life has been changed because of God? Or do you just blend in? Or even this, are you more satisfied with even the things of this world or things that are not of God? Are there things that are much more satisfying than the bread of life? Or are we truly satisfied with Jesus Christ himself? Of almost making a declaration that, God, you're all I need. You're all I need. You see, emptiness comes from physical bread or anything else in this world. But we are only eternally satisfied through Jesus Christ himself. The last thing is this. The last lesson is this. Something had to die for us to eat and live. Something had to die for us to eat and live. Jesus closed with this um, in our passage saying this. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As a, father, as a living Father has sent me, and I live Because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. 
Not like the bread of the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Jesus reiterates his point, what he just said right before. But he makes it even more clear and even more disturbing to the crowd. He makes it really visual. He says, I'm the bread, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to willingly offer up my own flesh and I'm going to die for you. And whoever eats of my body and drinks of my blood, meaning, if, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. And you see, again, this is even more shocking to the Jews. They're like, you know what, it confirms it to them in their minds. You know what, okay, there's, okay I, I, I'm kind of done with this guy. Why? Because as, as they study scripture, as they uh, study the teachings of, of the Torah, what does it say in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 17? Therefore I said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. So they're being taught by Jesus to eat of his own flesh and to drink his own blood. They're like, what? Like, no, that's, that's disgusting and that's very blasphemous. That's, and and so, that's not the only thing that they're really just disgusted with. It's the idea of him just even being the Christ, of, of him being... God, like well, you're, you're equating yourself with God. And so they're just so just mind-boggled and they're so disgusted with Jesus. And above all, they have a problem with the fact that Jesus is offering up his own body as a sacrifice. You see, they don't want their Messiah to die. They want their Messiah to live and to overthrow the government, to be their physical king. They want him to thrive so that they can thrive here on earth. But you know what? Also, even the disciples themselves also had a problem with this. If you remember, Simon Peter, he had an issue with Jesus dying too. He's like, no, you can't die. And you just remember what Jesus said to him? He rebukes him saying, it's like the worst words to ever hear from Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You have a problem with me dying? That's why I came here. I am obeying the will of my Father. And so all these people, they have this idea that, man, I... I I don't like this idea that you had to die for me. Well, the fact is this. Jesus had to die for us in order that we might be saved. If he didn't die on the cross, then it would be us that would be dying for an eternity. And so, the next time you eat, why don't you think about that concept that something had to die for us in order for us to eat and to continue living. Example, if you eat a burger, as you eat that meat patty, a cow had to die so that you can live. If you're a vegan, you only eat vegetables. Hey, guess what? Vegetables have lives, right? They're plants. You chop that thing, it dies. For you to live, it died. Or, yeah. <laughs> Fruits, whatever, grains to turn into bread. It all died for you to live. This passage, I don't think, was originally meant for communion. But I think there are some strong parallels of the imagery of communion in this passage. The bread of life that comes down from heaven gives his flesh as a sacrifice for his sheep. And those who partake in this bread and drinks from his blood, they have life. And so then, today, even as we, it's so fitting that we're having communion today, as we Break the bread. 
One of the things that we are reminded and we, uh, their elders say over and over again is what? Christ's body has been broken for you. And as you tear that off, that's literally what Christ had to do on the cross for us, for you. It's a visual reminder that as you tear it, oh, his body is mutilated for you. And as you dip it into the juice, that was his blood pouring out for you. As you consume that, it is a confirmation and a reminder, a proclamation of, of your own heart before the Lord of saying, God, I partake in this. And I say, I do believe as well. Yes, God, I am in you as you are in me. I believe, God. Which is why our church, we practice of asking only, if you truly believe, to partake in this. And so, something had to die for us to eat and live. Likewise, it was Christ who died so that we might live. You see, it was either him or it was either us. And God, in his great mercy, decided to send his one and only son to die on the cross for us so that we might be saved. We either ingest this bread and live eternally or we die eternally. Let's continue to partake in the Lord by believing. He is the bread of life. He's better than any bread that we can ever find here on earth. He's a spiritual, eternal, loving. He's even gluten-free, right? That he offered up his flesh and his blood so that we might be saved. Let's hunger and thirst for the Lord. And let's let go of any materialistic and earthly desires. Let's also pray that God would draw others unto him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for sending us your Son, that we may know you. May we be satisfied in the bread of life, your Son, Jesus Christ. We come to you because of your initiative in drawing us to you. God, we pray for our families, our friends, our schools, our workplaces, our surrounding neighbors, that you would also draw them to yourself. Father, use us as your messengers of the gospel. And use us to be a light and testimony unto the world of how we have tasted the goodness of the bread of life. May our church be filled with new believers and with revival all over the city of Orange County. God, have your way with our church and with us, O God. We desire to obey you and to be a church that is used for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.